Autism. It's a word we hear a lot and a disorder we talk about a lot. But how many of us can say with a measure of certainty that we know what autism is, how it affects a family, and how these children or adults are different or like those of us who are neurotypical? By the way, that's a word I learned while sitting down with two cool moms who know this world well. Both have children on the spectrum and both believe that the world needs more people with autism because they magnify a certain beauty in life that might otherwise go unnoticed. I hope this is a conversation that resonates with you and moves you. And if you're a parent of an autistic child or if you fear that your child might be on the spectrum, I hope this conversation allows you to feel encouraged by the road ahead. This is All Good in the Motherhood with Teresa Priolo, part of the Fox 5 Podcast Network. It, this is an issue that I feel like we as a society talk a lot about, but very few people f- actually understand, and that's autism. And I had a doctor say to me recently that boys are more susceptible to autism than girls. And I thought to myself, well, I'm a new mom, and I'm a mom of a boy. So A, I should learn about this because I want to be an active and participating member of society. And B, could this be my kid? So I want to learn as much as I can in order to make sure that I'm fully prepared in the event that this arises. And when I was thinking about how we should frame this debate, I I didn't want to bring in doctors or nurses or therapists. I want to talk to moms because you guys are the ones that are in the throes of it day in and day out. So... Two cool moms here with me today. First one I know very well, our executive producer here at Fox 5. She is the the boss lady that gets things done at night. (laughs) Becky, hi. How are you? You have two kids. I do. Um, Nathan is 13 and he has autism. And Andrew is 11 and he does not. And what's the word that we use when you do not have autism? Um, Neurotypical. Neurotypical. Okay. That's my first new word that I am committing to memory. And Sarah. Hi. Tell me a little bit about your kids. Okay, so I have three uh, sons. My oldest is 15, and he's neurotypical. And my middle son is 13, and he is what's formerly known as Asperger's syndrome. Okay. Um, And my youngest son is 11, well, almost 11, and he has autism. So out of your three children, two would be considered on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to talk all about this because... I just, I am quite versed when it comes to other disabilities, but again, as I said, when it comes to autism, I feel like it's something that we as a society throw around a lot, and we talk about autism, but I don't know that many people actually really get it or understand what life is really like. So first of all, Becky, I'll start with you. You, Okay, so your um, son with autism is 13. Yes. So you've been living with this for 13 years. Yes. Unlike, I would think, a lot of things that you can test for in utero, other disabilities or illnesses or issues, autism is my understanding. That's not anything that can be tested for beforehand. Right. And um, at least in our case and in a lot of cases, Nathan was developing pretty typically. Um, he di- was slow um, to develop as far as his um, physical milestones. So he never really crawled, never really sat up. So we got him physical therapy at 12 months. But he was talking a blue streak. Um, I'll never forget on the day we started um, the physical therapy evaluation at about 12 months. And in the middle of it, my husband walked into our house because they did the evaluation at our house. And he said, oh, hi, Daddy, at 12 months old. So, I mean, he was talking. That's advanced. Yes. And then at about 18 months, He, um, through physical therapy, had reached all his milestones. He was walking. I mean, he's running, sitting up, crawling, everything. 
Um, so we stopped, and then he just stopped talking. We had stopped physical therapy, so we weren't having therapists in the house every day seeing him. And he so stopped. So daddy being, became nothing, no wow. speech at all. Um, and it was a shock. And I, at the time, I was pregnant with my younger son, Andrew, and was having complications with that and had to be hospitalized. So all the doctors, oh, he's going through a lot. You know, he, this is his way of dealing. As, no, there's something wrong with my child. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it kind of was like, I felt like I was being blamed right, as I'm trying to mom, take right. care of my son who isn't even born yet. Um, so, yeah, there is no test. Even when a child is diagnosed, it's more, um, there's no blood test. There's no scans you can do. Um, so then how do, they, how do they determine the severity of his autism? Where, where does he fall on the scale? Or do we even know, really? I would say, they don't really say. I would say Nathan is kind of in the middle. Um, he, he talks. He tells us exactly what he wants, what he needs. Um, he's not very conversational, unless you want to talk about what he wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and But he, he can't survive in a typical school, so he goes to a BOCES program, which is a um, still a public program, but it's in um, a regular middle school. So he mm-hmm. does have interaction with um, typical students, but... I would say he's somewhere in the middle. As far as doctors telling me that, I mean, we've kind of gotten to the point where, you know, we just do our thing. And as far as diagnosing and things like that, we don't really do that anymore Right. at this point. You're just kind of living day by day. Right, exactly. Okay. Sarah, tell me. You, so now you have two separate yes. instances. Mm-hmm. So uh, your first introduction, I would imagine, would be with your second child. Because you yes. had one child that was developing normally and hit all of his milestones. And yep. There were no issues there, right? Right. And as a matter of fact, my oldest was very verbal. He was very articulate articulate at 18 months. And so he and I were having full-blown conversations um, at such a young age. And, and to this day, he's very intuitive. He's, he, um, his analytical abilities are exceptional. Um, and then when my second son came along, he looked totally different. Like he was born like looking like a football player. My oldest was, you know, this skinny chicken, like he's <laughs> just totally different look. And um, around six months, I actually noticed that just, I call it mother's instinct. I Just the way that he was receiving the world, the way he looked at things, the way he kind of was startled by things, but there's something odd here, and he didn't verbalize like my oldest son did. I noticed that uh, pretty quickly. And he had, he was kind of like a Buddha boy. Well, he was. So you just put him someplace and he sat there? Yep, and, and he W sat a lot, which isn't, you know, kind of a red flag. What's that, flag. when your legs are out and your hands are in them? Well, it's when your legs go, when your knees, instead of like doing crisscross applesauce, mm-hmm. they go the oh, other it. way, so it looks like a W. Got it, got it. Um, and that's because he had... And he still has very low tone or hypotonia, which mm-hmm. is common with uh, autism diagnosis as well. So my middle guy, he um, was not talking and not pointing. He wasn't interested in things that you would typically see babies and um, interested in. He 
Um, I was concerned enough, so we got the early intervention um, people to come in and do an evaluation, and he was delayed in both expressive and receptive language. So he, so was, he wasn't speaking to you, and when you spoke to him, he wasn't returning. He, right. It, it, was as, it was as if he was in his own world and didn't really have any interest in what's going on outside of his world. Mm-hmm. Um, he loved electronics. He loved certain... TV shows like Blue's Clues. He was obsessed with Blue's Clues. Um, so, and he was very focused. In fact, I remember my father-in-law saying he, you know, he's terrific focus as a positive response, but I, I didn't see it that way. I thought it's almost too obsessive about this particular game or um, and the games that he liked to were like, mm-hmm. all electronic. Like he could care less about puzzles and coloring or anything like that. And so he did early intervention. And he actually responded very well to it. He loved playing games. He's he has a big, giant, gregarious personality. So the speech therapists that come in are typically really loud and gregarious as well. Is that typical? They, yeah, yeah. Well, I would they, imagine they, you have to be there with kids, right? Yeah. yeah, they have to really try to motivate them, and so that the expressions on their face, I think, help the children to get motivated. And and he did well, but then you know we we kept seeing that the development was slow, that the pointing still wasn't happening. A lot of those things that you just see with your typical children, and and it was hard not to compare him to my oldest son mm-hmm. because. I didn't want to because they're two different But kids. you don't have an, a choice at that point, right? right? Like where Becky didn't have anything necessarily in her own home to compare it to, you did. Right. So you could tell. Well, but everybody right. says, well, my children are different and they do things at different rates. Right, right. Yeah, but he was, and he was also delayed um, with milest- physical milestones. He didn't need PT, but he was, you know, just not interested in moving along. You know, he... Mm-hmm. He walked a lot later than my oldest son did. Like, all those milestones were delayed. And, you know, filling out all the forms mm-hmm. that we have to fill out, right, for the doctors. I got to the point I would just put a line through it and say, all delayed. <laughs> you know, because after a while, you can't remember exactly the right. month that he started crawling or exactly the month he you started. You just know that it wasn't at six months. Or right, it that it was all, yeah, exactly. So that that's what he looks like. And he's 13 now, and he is... Wow. I mean, it was harder in the beginning when we didn't know um, what his future would look like. We didn't know if he was ever going to be able to talk and have conversations. And I would literally just cry in bed with him when he went to sleep. And I would just I would just pray. And I would say, please fix him because I don't know what the heck is going on. Right. And, and I just want him to be able to um, relate to us, you know, have relationships with his parents and his grandparents and cousins and his brother. I think a lot of people, when they think about autism, especially first-time parents, they think that a switch is flipped, that one day your child is completely verbal and everything's quote-unquote fine, as fine is, and then the next day they're not. But what you guys are describing, it, it appears like a slow and gradual decline, Well, I th- even yeah. if it happens only over the course of a few months. I think- well, it, like with Nathan... As far as the verbal and the um, the verbal skills and the eye contact, it was like a switch was turned off. But there were, um, like like Sarah said, there were um, mother's intuition before that. Mm-hmm. Like you just have feelings that something's not quite right, and 
you know, when we did the physical evaluation with the early intervention, I asked, I said, you know, is there anything else? And all, I mean, all his scores for everything other than physical, he was way above where he was supposed to be. Were they looking at you like, lady, this guy's kind. Right. And they do. And even when he was diagnosed, everyone was like, oh, you know, the this is something he's going to grow out of. And this is doctors and special ed teachers and speech therapists. And in my heart, I just knew that, not that there was something wrong with him, because there is nothing wrong with him. I mean, he is, and, you know, I actually said this to Dari Alexander recently, our um, 10 o'clock anchor. I said, Nathan is the most amazing person I've ever met. And she started to cry. She said, I can't, that's amazing that you say that. I said, it's true. I said, no one in my life has taught me as much as Nathan has taught me. And every day it's new things and just seeing the world through his eyes. And, you know, it's just, I wish I could look at the world the way Nathan looks at it. Everything is black or white. You know, there is no... You know, and sometimes that's hard. There's no middle for Nathan, but in, but that's some ways, okay. <laughs> in some ways that's hard because, you know, it's the world isn't black or white. But at the same time, for him, it's just everything is just, I can't even, I can't even put it into well, it, words. I think but, for a lot of people, they would, if somebody didn't have autism, they would simply call that person decisive. Yes. They would just say they like what they like. Yeah, they know what they exactly. want. Exactly. Yes. But because he has autism, now we know that it's a a cognitive thing, or right. you know, it, like he he his his mind or brain sort of falls on one side or the other. Mm-hmm. But I love that, yeah. and I think and to hear you say that he is the most amazing person, that's not shocking to me because I grew up in a family with somebody with a disability with cerebral palsy, so I understand that because I have lived in a world where you get to see somebody who is not like everybody else necessarily or by textbook purposes teach you just really how amazing right. the world can actually be without all the bullshit. Yeah. You know? And but for a lot of people they do. They look at children with any sort of impairment or disability or anything that does not check all the boxes and think, well something is wrong with that kid. Right. Which always angers me through and through. Yeah. And I have to imagine for the both of you that must tick you off to no end. Yeah. Well can I answer yeah. your question about the light switch? Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing I thought of was that uh, and I didn't really realize this until years, like a decade into having, you know, three children, two with autism. I, every child with autism, at their challenges and their gifts that come with autism are as unique as their own fingerprint. So I don't really subscribe to the spectrum um, definition. I don't, I don't know if I like that because, you know, every, like your son, a lot of what you're telling me about your son sounds very ch- similar to my middle guy because he is very black and white. He's mm-hmm. very rigid. You know, he used to fall apart a lot, had a lot of behavioral problems as yeah. a young guy, real little guy, because he couldn't understand, you know, why I couldn't get his zipper up correctly and he'd have three-hour meltdowns. And where my oldest son could, you know, analyze and understand what was going on and didn't ruin the entire day and we could, could get out the door. Then my youngest son is so completely different from my middle guy, but they have so many similarities as well. But they, um, I don't know, they're just, the, the light switch I think happens for some 
people. I think we're in a period of time where we're really discerning autism and, and really trying to understand it. And from what I, from, from a mother's, in, uh, from my perspective, I, I feel like that the world needs autistic people. Yes. I, I feel like... Do you feel that, that way too? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because, and to, to, to comment on what you were saying about how people just love your son and how he brings... That's the gift of autism is that, you know, they, my youngest son in particular, he has the biggest personality and um, of all of us. And he's the one with the biggest challenges with language. And he's almost 11 and he still cannot carry on conversations. And so we're in the middle of dealing with a lot of testing. And But he is so interested in other people and he brings out like sunshine in other people. And so I told my sister-in-law one time, I said, I'm so grateful for your, your, my nieces, your daughters, your twin girls who are 15, who just are the sweetest things with my youngest guy and make him feel, I feel like that they're doing a service to him. But then she said, no, 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 Sarah, he's, he's changing all of us. He's the one who's a gift to all of us because he's brought out the best in, in all of our family. And we have a pretty big family and lots of cousins and aunts and uncles. And, um, and I, I don't know. I think it's just I could really identify with what you were saying about that. Um, but no, I think every autistic person is so incredibly unique. And you can, it's, I would hesitate for people to say, oh, I saw that one autistic person person so that's what autism looks like yeah i mean we think of certain things like again this is what's pushed out there which is not necessarily reality or across the board yeah. you know uniform here but like <clears throat> the robotic speech or the mm -hmm. major meltdowns mm -hmm. or um obsessive compulsive behaviors i mean there are certain things that people very much associate with certain disorders i actually am of the opinion i don't know where i thought of this or if someone said this to me i don't think it's an original thought but I happen to think that there are many, many more people in society, specifically incredibly successful people that have autism that are maybe maybe not completely diagnosed and certainly not public with it, but that are out there, so to speak, than we even understand. Yeah. Well, my father, when he was reading my middle son's 18-page neuro report after his final diagnosis, because we weren't sure. We had some doctors who were like, nah, I don't know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then at eight or nine, we got the definitive, yes, he is ASD, or what was formerly known as Asperger's, because that's not used anymore. It's just you're either autistic or you're not. Hmm. Okay. No, no more PDN, P PDDNOS, no more Asperger's. But when my father, when he was reading the report, he was very emotional, and he said, I feel like I'm reading about myself. And my father has always been a really super smart guy, but quirky and, you know, has lots of, like, um, things that he says a lot that are associated with him. And he's, he's really heavy-footed, like, with a low tone, a lot like my middle son. They actually resemble each other body-wise. And they're just very matter-of-fact, and they don't necessarily think that they might be hurting somebody's feelings if they're just answering a question or asking a question. Like the social cues are a little bit off. So my father, I th he didn't talk until he was six years old. 
And so I think for my father, he was relieved to say, you know what, I think I probably would have been diagnosed on the spectrum back way, way, you know, 70 years ago when he was really struggling as a youngster. And, and he's so grateful that his grandsons can be, you know, have the opportunity to have the services that they, they need to have. Um, and, and he's learning a lot about himself now. Through that. Through, yeah. through the, all, yeah, all the information. What, Becky, what is it like to have a name associated with it? Um, is that a me, relief? Or for is... me, it was a relief. Um, Nathan was finally diagnosed when he was 20, 22 months. So right after Andrew was born, I um, took him to a developmental pediatrician. And I had felt for so long that everyone was looking at me, blaming me, blaming my difficult pregnancy with Drew. And it was just, I sat there as they said it, and I very, okay, I knew that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And at the time, he was diagnosed with PDD-NOS, which is um, pervasive developmental disorder not otherwise specified, which... Which seems very vague. Yes. Is that what it's intended to be? Yes. Okay, good. Um, Like, so we have no idea is basically what they're telling you. right, Right. But on the autism spectrum, but now there is not that diagnosis anymore, like Asperger's. Um, It's now just ASD, autism spectrum disorder, or not. Um, And to me, once I got to the car, I just started to cry, not because I was sad or because I was mourning the loss of a lot of people feel like they're mourning the loss of the child that they thought that they had. It was just, I felt like people didn't, weren't going to look at me like I was crazy anymore. Mm. The people weren't going to say, there's nothing wrong with your child. Would you just leave him alone? Like I knew, and again, not to say that there's anything wrong with him, but I knew that there was something different. And I knew that the, the good thing about that diagnosis is that it opens up so much as far as early intervention and once they're in school services. So to me, I don't really care. Call it whatever you want. I just want to get for Nathan what he needs to help him become all that he can be. If he does not develop above where he is today for the rest of his life, that's fine. As long as we're doing everything that we can to help him get to that location, to that spot. So... um, you know, we immediately started early intervention, and it it was, that was tough, because he got more than 20 hours a week of services in our house. So it was... So that's four hours a day, if yeah, you're looking at a normal work week. Right. And he's not even two years old. He, he needs naps. He needs a break. I have a newborn in the house. So, um, but I feel like that did help us get to Nathan to where he is today. And, um, you know, being in the school that he's in, finding the right place and finding the right services is so hard because there is no manual. No one says, okay, here's your child with autism. Here's an owner's manual for him. No, you have to find everything out yourself. And no one's going to say, this is what you're entitled to. This is what you should be getting. So, you know, having other parents who you can talk to is so important. And um, I mean, I feel like with even a... I get kid at this point who I don't know that, that there's anything wrong. I don't believe that there is, and he's developing the way he should. I still feel like, well, my owner's manual must have gotten lost someplace, <laughs> right, thrown yeah. out the window. Like, no one tells you anything. I mean, 
people think they're telling you things about having a baby, but they don't actually tell you the shit that you need to know. I can't imagine then now thinking, okay, on top of that, I now need to add a whole nother layer of complication. Right. And And for his entire life, essentially. Right. Did you feel that? Did you feel the sense of relief that she felt, or did, was it uh, different for you? Uh, you know, with my middle guy, I think I was really numb, um, and I, my youngest son, I had more of a emotional reaction to because I didn't see it. I it, uh, oddly, I was almost hi- I was hyper focused on my thirteen year old and my youngest son. He was developing quite typically, and he. Where his autism took him was like, he developed, and then all of a sudden he just was stagnant, and then he kind of disappeared. It's like he like kind of fell back into the shadows, and like you can see it in pictures. I, I can't stand to look at the pictures of during this couple year period where he just never smiled. It's like he completely disappeared, like this beautiful, happy, healthy little boy just disappeared, and I don't know why. I don't know why. I do know the statistics that say that if you have one child on the spectrum, your next child will, mo- like, there's a greater chance that your second child will be on the spectrum as well. And that we're pretty much textbook in our family. But you're not, because yours does not. Right. So that's very, right. that's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's what I love about having both of you here, is yeah. that your stories are so similar in some ways. And so different. Yeah. So continue. So when yeah. you, uh, so with my um, eleven-year-old, he, um, when we got the diagnosis, it was so definitive. Like the the neurologist was so confident that it was autism. Autism. Where with my thirteen-year-old, it was they weren't sure. Like we, so there was that chance. Okay, it was PDDNOS, as a matter of fact. So. We thought, okay, well, then maybe one day he'll be undiagnosed, which I heard then, then that's confusing. Well, does it mean he never had autism to begin with? Like, uh, Or did you cure it? Like, right, what? right, exactly. So I think that's, I think it's great they got rid of that, um, the Asperger's and the PD, that's my opinion. But my youngest son, he just seemed so different in his challenges. I didn't, I didn't see him, he didn't look like my middle son. And so when that diagnosis came down, my mother was with me and I had my other two sons with me. And I just, you know, kind of fell apart in the hallway and leaving the the hospital. And my mom took the boys and I went to the bathroom. I just, you know, I was, it was really emotional. It was really hard. And I think I was at that point truly overwhelmed. I mean, three children, I had them about two years apart, stay-at-home mom. A lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, my, my husband was, you know, venturing off into this new company that he was CEO of. So he was gone much of the time early on. So, so it was all, a lot of it, a was, lot on of it was on me. And, and again, my, you know, a lot of what I saw, I felt a lot of the times I was standing on an island by myself trying to figure all this out. And it wasn't as if people didn't support me or didn't believe me. I don't think they want, I don't, they didn't, they weren't with my sons like I was, so they couldn't see it. Maybe they didn't for whatever reason, but now everyone's on board. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, everyone understands and everyone loves my children equally. And, and that's why I, you know, I call my family beautifully neurodiverse because each one of us offers something that's so uniquely 
beautiful and we balance each other out so nicely. I mean, that's not to say we don't have conflicts. <laughs> All <laughs> like your family, family right? right? But, um, you know, they, you know, I'm a Middleton's an exceptional math, math guy and he plays the violin and he's really good at it. Mm -hmm. And he's also really good at Fortnite. <laughs> so he's a kid. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, my younger son, he's, you know, very social. He, he hates reading cause he reading's very hard for him. And, um, he, he language is very, very difficult. He's a very physical guy, very coordinated. So, um, now I've got so much time behind me. So, I think the the rawness of it, like I, I can talk about it now without yeah. falling apart. You know, there was, and I think a lot, like now that I've been blogging and, and on Instagram, trying to connect more with, with women, uh, moms who have children on the spectrum. And I'm finding that that's mostly young moms. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a young mom anymore. You are. Um, <laughs> and um, they have, they're, they're new and, and, finding out these diagnoses, it's really scary. And so that's what I like about this this world, this social media world, which I really never tapped into in just a couple of months ago. And it's such a nice venue to be able to connect with women like who are just fine, who are scared and alone. Like I know I was, and I was truly falling apart. But, you know, we made it through, and, and we're just kind of rolling through life well, now. Well, that's the way it has to go, right? You just – I was – my next question to both of you, and I think this um, – piggybacks off that is what is a, a now that you but both of you have a comparison point with as you said a child who is on the spectrum and one that's not so what are some of the differences in a day how a day progresses I mean obviously every day every child is different but like Beck um, when you get up in the morning are there things that you as a mom need to make sure are in order or things that Nathan has to do in order to with some sense of certainty, make sure that the day goes okay for him that you maybe don't need to do, do for Drew? I mean, are there certain things that a mom who has a, who's caring for a child with autism needs to do or has to contend with that maybe another mom does not? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's interesting because Drew is my younger son and he does not have autism and there's so many things that he can do independently. I can get him up and say, okay, get up, get dressed start getting ready for school. And he'll get himself up, get dressed, start getting ready for school. Nathan, I have to pick out his clothes. I have to lay them out so that he doesn't put them on inside out or backwards. or Because he won't know. Because he won't know. Um, Drew will pick out what he wants for breakfast. Nathan is very, very picky. Right now he will only eat waffles. So <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> Thank God for gluten-free Eggo waffles. <laughs> um, because any other brand, no, he will not eat it. Um, I'm not being paid by Ego, by the way. <laughs> um, but if they want to pay us, we'll, we'll work that out. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I have to make his breakfast where Drew will, like, look in the closet, see if he wants cereal, see if he wants, look in the freezer, see if there's something he wants there. Um, I still brush Nathan's teeth. Um, you wouldn't have to with your youngest. Right. Or don't have to. Yeah, I just say to Drew, go upstairs and brush your teeth and comb your hair, and he does that. Um, so... But then also, he, he needs a routine. He knows that in the morning, the alarm goes off at 6.15. And, you know, everything has at um, 7.20. Uh, no, sorry, not 7.20. At uh, 6.50, we go out for the bus. 
So, you know, he knows And if you exactly. miss that, what happens? If you're running um, late, as every mom always is. If we're running is. late, see, we can't run late. I have to make sure that we're on schedule. I need to, you know, I have to be on that schedule, too, because if we have to start running at the end, then, then the meltdown comes. Um, he's gotten much better over the years as far as meltdowns, and a lot of that has is because my husband and I have taken parent training classes. Because you Such think, things exist. Yes. You think you have to fix your child, but no, you actually have to fix yourself and how you deal with your child. Is, so, is that available to children? To <laughs> Wait a second. Hold up. <laughs> Matt, next episode is parent training. Sign us up. Okay. Yeah. So um, it was through Westchester Jewish Community Services, and it's for um, parents of children with developmental disabilities. And... You know, you, you have to realize that you have to treat your child differently. You can't s- stand at the bottom of the steps and say, get up, come on, it's time for school. You have to go up, make sure they're looking at you. It's time to get up. If you're not calm, they will not be calm. Wow. If you lose your cool, they're going to lose their cool. And It sounds like hyper-parenting almost. Yeah, it, it is. And just choosing your words better um, instead of saying, cut that out, he'll be looking for scissors because he's very literal. Wow. literal. If you Please don't do that or give him something else to do. Okay, if he's tapping his foot here, give him a fidget or something mm-hmm. to um, do with his hands. So, you know, so it's just thinking more about what you're saying, what you're doing, and putting it into a context where, oh, okay, that, this is what you want me to do. Instead of saying stop... Tell him what you want him to do. So now, with the fact that he is so hyper-literal about everything, is uh, how do you ensure, or how do you set him up for life after mom and dad's well, house then? That's that's the hard thing. And, you know, that's what we're working with his school on. Um, you know, we are getting to where we can be more loose with Nathan, saying... Um, you know, cut that out instead of, you know, what you want him to do. But, um, you know, life isn't black or white. Life isn't with a one-on-one aid. Um, so that's a concern that we have. Um, but a lot of companies and agencies are offering work training. Colleges are pairing people with, on the spectrum with people who are going into special education or psychology or speech therapy to try to get them that college experience and learning moving forward. So, you know, I have no idea. That's, that's a fear that I have every day is, you know, what... Right now, Nathan's in eighth grade, so he'll be starting high school next year. And he's going to be in an integrated high school where he will be with... He No, he will be in the BOCES program that he's in now, but it will be in um, a regular high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so he will have some interaction, but it will still be his safe community where there are only 60 students from 7th through 12th grade. And the teachers who he knows and who he's comfortable with. But, you know, we're trying to... He has a one-on-one aid at school, which is so hard for parents to get. Um, 
and um, I wish every child who needs one could have one. Um, because it's a game changer. It's been a game changer for Nathan. Um, and But now, okay, he's in eighth grade. We had his last meeting. We talked about we love his aid. We don't want his aid going anywhere, but we also need his aid to step back. We need Nathan to become more independent. And, you know, this is your aid, but he's not your assistant. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, not your personal yeah. assistant. You need to be able to write down your assignments yourself at night when you're coming home you know you need to understand that you need to turn your homework in in the morning and un know where your homework is and you know just getting ready for the real world which again every parent needs to prepare their child for the real right. world but it seems like you have to take so many more steps Sarah do you find the same thing with um, the hypervigilance on behalf of you and your husband making sure that you are ten, not two steps ahead but ten steps ahead uh, it's a little bit different, you know, because uh, my middle son is uh, fiercely independent at, to the point where he does not want us to help him with anything. And that's actually, I mean, that's good. You know, that's what we wanted when he was, when he was little, when we did everything for him. But now he's just the, the polar opposite to the point where he's almost a little too stubborn, a little bit too willful, and, and where there's areas where we want to be able to support him. He's, no, I got no, I got I got I got it, I got it, I got it. I hear a lot of that. My youngest son, he needs support with a lot of, um, some self-help skills. He still needs help um, with the shower. Um, he's um, remembering things. He can get a, a little bit, you know, off focused so we have when we're going through the routine in the morning um, or the evening he's distracted by the dog a lot so there's still a lot of prompting with him and that's tiring right mm -hmm. you know that can be yeah. you know because that's tiring for anybody even yeah if. and it's been and you kind of it, when you have typical kids I know my oldest he was self-sufficient it's I mean for so long now and my youngest who's almost 11 we're still needing to help him shower and he can brush his teeth, but um, he just, his fine motor skills, he struggles with his fine motor skills. So um, a lot of that stuff we have to help him with. Um, but the original question was well, the, just the, that, how do you sort of, what, what is a typical future. day with a, with a autism child like versus, um, you know, your yeah. oldest son with, yeah. who doesn't need that, that kind of intervention? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I answered it essentially that he just needs a lot of prompting to remember to do certain things and telling him, okay, now it's time to do this. Now it's time to do that. You know, and we do have the pictures up because he's very visual. Um, that these are the days you can have ice cream. These are the days you cannot have ice cream because in his world, he could have it every day, every mm. single meal. I mean, I would write in like, <laughs> no, wait, yeah. ice cream come on Tuesday too. Right. And what he was recently diagnosed with celiac disease, which helped us understand a lot of the other health issues that were going on with him for years prior. But now the only sweet he can really have is vanilla ice cream. There's nothing wrong with vanilla ice cream. Yeah, but he just can't have a lot, you know. The <laughs> yeah. sugar. So, but he, so he'll be combative with that a lot and very willful about wanting to get it. And sometimes it's just so tiring to fight that 
over and over again. No, we no, it's not Friday. Friday's the day that you yeah. get your ice cream. And um, my oldest son, you know, he, I don't have to ask him to do anything. He does it all. He takes care of it. Does, you know, do I get a call here and there from his math teacher that yeah. maybe he isn't handed in his homework? He doesn't like math very much. So, um, yes, he's a, he's a typical kid that way. So, Becky, you were saying that when you were pregnant with Drew. Um, you, you had a rough pregnancy with him, and so you were concerned about how, what effect that would have on Nathan mm-hmm. and his development. So let's step back. Now that you have Nathan and Drew, and now that you have three children, what do you think the impact of having a child or two children with autism has been on the child that does not have autism? Do you feel that they have a maybe a, obviously a broader sense of how the world works and that everybody's different, but it has to be tough for that child too. So for a mom who's listening or a dad who's listening, who's like, what do I do for the kid that is normal functioning? How do I make sure that they're not kind of left out in the cold because the other one needs so much attention? Yeah, it's, um, it's a double-edged sword. I think that um, having particularly an older brother with autism has made Drew, um, he's very protective. In a lot of ways, he is the older brother, but likes to remind us, you know, I'm, I'm the younger brother. I'm the baby, yeah. Um, and he's very compassionate and um, tries to see the best in everyone. But it's also, you know, sometimes it can be a little embarrassing when you know, you're with your friends or at, you're at your baseball game or your basketball game and your brother's on the sidelines flapping or, um, you know, scripting or doing something that is obviously not typical. Yeah. Um, Especially if you're a boy around other boys right. your age. Yeah. And- um, but, you know, he has no problem explaining to people that, you know, my brother has autism. It makes, it's hard for him to communicate sometimes. And, you know, he understands it and he has no problem explaining it to other people. And um, so in some ways it is hard, but in other ways it's, it's been, it's been a blessing. Drew is, um, you know, he, he is who he is because of who he is, but having Nathan as a brother has also, you know, made him very responsible at a young age and um, compassionate and kind. Um, Do you make sure that you have days just for Drew because Nathan does get so much attention or needs so much of you? At this age, um, it's funny because when they were younger, a lot of time and energy was spent on Nathan. And now that Nathan is kind of, you know, I mean, he's cruising along, he's doing his thing, and now Drew's at the age where he has basketball and baseball and clubs and this and that. I feel like a lot more time has been on Drew. <laughs> oh, so the, yeah. the the tables have turned a yeah, little, bit. A little yeah. bit. Yeah, you know, like all those things where, you know, school activities and stuff. Where Nathan Nathan is not a joiner. Nathan is, you know, we do push him to do things, but he's perfectly happy being at home, being with his family, being with his computer, making his YouTube videos. Um, But because we have Drew, Nathan is forced to be out and doing things. So, 
Yeah, the tables have kind of turned a little bit as they've gotten older. Sarah, do you feel that way too? Yes, it's changed a lot. In the beginning, I feel like that um, I was very hyper-focused on on my middle son and then my youngest son, and my oldest was, you know, going along, everything's fine with him. But I also got to a place of wanting to make sure that, you know, that not one of them was always in the center of the circle that is our family, that I wanted to keep every one of us on the, the periphery so we were a part of the circle, not just one in the circle looking in and that, that, that one's getting the most attention all the time. And my oldest son is now 15. He's really excited about getting his driver's license. And it's all he's talked about. He's gone through puberty and he's grown seven inches. And he wow. Was, yeah. And he was very short. Like That just, didn't happen to me when I went through puberty. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't grow seven inches. <laughs> uh, and he's really excited about that. And he has such a great group of friends. And he's actually really close friends with a um, another 15-year-old who also has two younger brothers with special needs who are the exact same ages as my, the two. Oh, how nice is that? So we kind of, and the, the mother is actually a dear friend of mine. So we kind of match up like the Brady Bunch, but friends, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. that they have each other to kind of, I don't, I don't think they get together and talk about, oh yeah, our, our brothers have autism. Let's, t- let's talk about it like women would do, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I always. There's no wine and chocolate and. No, uh, like, yeah. And they're not like, like on the phone for hours as my boys always say, mom, why are you always talking on the phone? You talk for three hours. I'm like, no, I don't. And then I realize I do. <laughs> and because I need to, I, that's just my nature. I think it's a very female thing as well. So, you know, my oldest son, he doesn't really need to talk about it as much, but I can, I can tell there are times and my middle son too, because he has what he says less, you know, less beans in the jar of his autism. That's how he describes autism. Because he said, well, how much autism is in can- my youngest? Mm-hmm. And he he said, um, is it more, like if there were beans, are there more beans or less beans? And he wanted to make sure that he had more beans than my younger son. That's how he understood it. He didn't understand the spectrum. He didn't get that at all. But so he- Glass was, half full, glass half empty sort of thing. Well, like how like if, if he yeah. was a jar, like if he was like th- this and like he had like, he has this much autism in him, and then my younger son has that much autism in him. Right. And so that's how he understood it. And so he likes to be able to say, explain to other people. He's very vocal, much more so than my oldest son. He'll be vocal with people saying, oh, he's doing that because he's autism. And he gets kind of annoyed, though, sometimes, too, because he's 13. My older son kind of just kind of he backs away. He doesn't want to get involved in any kind of, like, Anything that makes people uncomfortable. He's a conflict conflict avoider type yeah. kid, but um, and he definitely, I don't think he'll want to do anything regarding special needs in his lifetime. He's lived it already, a lot of it. So he's looking at other things in the world to mm-hmm. to do and wants to get as far away as possible. But he is the most amazing big brother to his younger brothers. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm so grateful for that. Let's talk about safe spaces. Uh, where are, are, or is it sort of universally known, like where you feel like you can take your boys that um, they are understood? So, in my mind, I'm thinking, like for example, with my brother who had cerebral palsy, my dad always used to take him to the same diner to have pancakes every single weekend, and they didn't care if he was screaming, hitting the table, throwing pancakes. 
didn't matter what was going on. They were like, and you want another plate? We'll get you another plate. And it was, it actually became such a joy in our family because we were like, well, it's a safe space. We know that. And I know every community, there are different places, but are there sort of places universally, universally like, I don't know, um, McDonald's or some someplace that you know there's, it, it's a place that you can always take your kids and they will be safe and people will sort of understand them. It, does that exist? Um... I mean, we do have a diner that we go to all the time, and like they know Nathan, and they know Nathan also has celiac disease, which is a shared trait. That, yes. Yep. Yep. Um, so you know, they they make his gluten free pancakes, and but I mean, I think you know Nathan's place is Disney World. Yes. Yeah. Well, my place is Disney World too. Yes. But I don't have it. <laughs> and um, you know, it's just he. We've been taking him there his whole life and it's just he can eat when he wants to eat he can ride the rides that he wants and he's accepted and but um he, there's also a camp that he has gone to every summer where um actually they um are closing so oh. he's not going to be able to go back this summer but um it's just every child was always accepted for who they are and where they are and loved for that. So, you know, I mean, you find you find your community and you find your places and, um, you know, and when you find you find those places, it's 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 just, you know, you feel like you're home. It's I haven't been imagine it's gold. Yeah. 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 I agree. I was going to say, I, I don't know if there's like a McDonald's or what, but there you I agree with you, Becky, that you that you as time goes by, you start to seek out and find the other warrior moms, you know, the, the, the kids that, and the kids that are connecting and then you've come and then, and then your world starts to expand a little bit more and you see, um, like for us, our church is this safe next to family and our extended, extended family, our church that we belong to, it's Episcopal, Episcopal church in town and it's, uh, very inclusive and, uh, my youngest son is very vocal, and he'll he loves when people sneeze. So, he'll, like in the middle of the sermon, he'll hear somebody sneeze, and he'll stand up and he'll say, "I bless you," and, and, and nobody cares. Like everyone thinks it's so endearing. And so, what we find so endearing about you know the, the quirkiness about him, and which I think is so adorable, outsiders that don't know him think it's kind of strange, but everyone in the church loves because those they're now qual- insiders. Because they're inside exactly, exactly. And it so so we love going to church for that reason. And you know, I sing in the choir, so he turns around to check make sure I'm there. And it's like that whole he sits in the same spot every time and he laid, lays down. It helps that the priest also has three boys, two with autism as well. Wow. Um, but they're older. They're yeah. she's got about a decade on me with the kids, but she's um an amazing priest and has this community of just such acceptance and um and diversity. We're just really really grateful for that community. You know, second to family being so accepting that is probably next in line. There are so many other questions that I can ask you guys and we could this could go on forever. But like the the one thing for those who are listening who, again, either just got the diagnosis or th- think that something might be up, uh, what do we tell them? So what do we say to other moms, other dads, or even just concerned relatives that think that they see something maybe or that they might notice that something's off? 
you know, the, the picture that you both paint is one that is very manageable, that it seems like, albeit tough, this is, life is doable. This, this is, that it's not um, a burden. And maybe it, maybe day to day is really tough, but it just, uh, the sense I get is that life is beautiful and life is doable as long as you kind of put the right tools and, you know, things in place. Yeah. Is that, is that an accurate reading of it? Or what do we tell people at home who might be really freaking out if they are just getting this, um, diagnosis? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I've had this experience with, um, a dad who recently, couple years ago, he came to me and told me he got the diagnosis and he was in tears. He was actually the contractor of the house that he was expanding our house. And he came in one day and he told me that his son was diagnosed with autism. And he was just like, um, I thought he was going to have a breakdown right there. Meanwhile, I'm, you know, years, I think at that point, like nine, 10 years into autism with two. And I wanted to say, it's going to be okay, Sean. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Just you know, just do what you what what the pediatrician tells you to do. Get you know the necessary tests that you need to get done. Get them into early intervention as early as possible. Get that diagnosis because it's only going to help the um, your child. Because, like you said, you know, right? You, I don't really care about the diagnosis. It just helps your child to get the, the services they need. And then and then just time takes time because then you have to. I think you get to a place of you grow into acceptance. Like this is our family and you really, you can't imagine it any other way. And not that I want, wish I could have a magic pill to make my two sons with autism not have autism. I could, I would wish maybe there's a pill that maybe would speed up the language development or maybe help my middle son be a little less impulsive and less rigid and more flexible. But you know, with therapy and with age, it, it gets it gets easier. So and then it's also you know as a parent, you know my husband and I, I don't know if you know there's a, there's a huge, um, I guess statistics also say that divorce is more with, prevalent yeah. when you have children on the spectrum. Disabilities in general also. Uh, I agree absolutely. Yes, I didn't mean to omit them, but um, others. But fortunately, my husband and I dodged that bullet. Did we go through a period that was really hard? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we we love our children, we love each other, and we really wanted to make it work. So we we had to do a lot of changing ourselves. You know, we had to step up to the plate and think, okay, it's time for us to really adult <laughs> and be responsible and do the right thing. And this is not about us. You know, this is about our children and getting the best services for them. And we've got to let go of our egos. We've got to let go of fear. And we've got to uh, trust, you know, that we're, um, that things will, will be okay. Easy. Hindsight is, <laughs> you know, easier said than done when you're just new in the, in the throes of it. But distance is, it's, it's nice to remember yeah. people of distance. Perspective, yeah. Yeah. Beck. Um, for someone who's just going through it, um, it's, it is hard. It is, um, it is overwhelming. Um, like I said, no one tells you, okay, now this, the go and do this. Um, I would say take care of yourself, take care of your relationships, take care of your children. And if you need help, get yourself help. 
Um, That's a great tip. You know, I had to see a therapist. I had to, um, you know, take some antidepressants for a while. It's, it's overwhelming, and it's all put on the parents. Um, but it's worth it in the long run. Um, you know, having that 20 hours of therapy in my house every week, I, I thought I was going stir crazy. But, you know, it's, it's what you need to do. And um, you were given this gift of this child. And, um, you know, there, there is help out there for you. And, you know, don't be afraid to seek it out. That's, that would be my advice. And trust, I think, the mother's intuition and father's yes. intuition. I don't want to, you yeah. know, um, forget about the father's. But if you really feel like, like, I had the same thing. I really felt like something was going on, and I didn't back down. I couldn't back down, even though I had a, everyone saying, yeah, he's fine. He'll grow out of it. He'll grow yeah. out of it. And I, I just stuck. Like, if there's something in you that that's saying there's something not right, you know, just get the te- get testing done. Give at least give yourself peace of mind, you know. And if even if you get an answer that says, "Oh, he's he or she is fine," and you still feel, you know, just stay on top of that. Just trust your gut. Yeah, if that that I agree with that. If you hear, if you know that there's something not right, and one doctor says, "Oh no, they're fine," try someone else. There's so many different paths to a diagnosis. You, you went to a neurologist. We went to a developmental pediatrician. You know, there are, you can see a psychologist. There's different doctors. There, and that, that's, that what ma- that's one of the things that makes this so difficult is that there's... There's not one outlet There's one not path. one outlet. There's not one test. There's, um, you know, you're the parent. You know your child better than anyone. And, um, and I do know people who, you know, as... When the child was young, the parent thought something was not okay. They were told that everything was okay. And now that they're reaching the teenage years, things have, there's still issues. And, you know, it's... missed that critical window. Right, exactly. Being able to not fix it, but intervene. Yeah, Yeah. and and I just want to add that that, um, it's hard hard to, to... the word autism, like I know when I was just having kids, it was such a really, really scary word. I don't know if it's still a really, really scary word. I think it's still pretty scary okay. for a lot of people that don't understand it. Yeah, I, and and with understanding it gets better. But not listening to your gut or if you don't have a gut and somebody's saying, I think something's up, and not lo- reaching out to see if there is something going on is, is only a disservice to your child. And because I followed my gut, because you know, I really fought to get services, fought, say that so there's something going on. Life is not so difficult anymore. Like it, like I feel like, like me sitting here coming into the city today, I couldn't have done even two years ago because there was always stuff going on at school and getting phone calls from school and whatnot. But I think it just makes life easier if you're, if, if, um, if you're not afraid of that word Know that it, your child's always going to be your child, no matter what label, quote unquote, label is put on them. Um, that I think life will be easier if you just kind of let go of that that fear 
and and just I don't know. I was going to say something really, really good, and I forgot. That was good. That was really, really good. That's <laughs> no, good. there was something else, though, and I'm going to think of it at 3 in the morning. Before so. before we go, Becky, you guys did an amazing Emmy award-winning special here That's at Fox right, 5. Woo-hoo. Um, yes, she is an Emmy. Well, you're. I, this is not your first Emmy. Yes, you, it was. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah thank well, you. Well, congratulations. <laughs> that, that makes it extra special. Um, yes. it, you can find it on our YouTube page. What's the name of it? Autism Life on the Spectrum, and we pretty much take you through – Life on the spectrum, from diagnosis to life after um, what parents call falling off the cliff. Um, so after a child graduates from high school and they no longer have those school services, what happens then? So we take you through the entire journey, um, fighting for services. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. So it's on our YouTube channel. Check it out. Fox 5 um, NY is the YouTube channel. Yes. Um, and We need a follow-up to that. Yeah. Yeah. But you have enough on your plate right now. (laughs) And Sarah, you just started an Instagram page that um, really chronicles your life as a mom, as a a human, as a mom, as also a mom with children with autism. And you're always talking about the different things that you're going through with your boys and how you're Mm -hmm. Well, again, like I said, as a mom of a nine-month-old, I can only hope that my little guy sees the world the way that your children have. Because the way that you guys – as I said before, paint it, it it doesn't seem so bad. It actually seems really lovely and wonderful. And I can only hope that the people that my kid interacts with open up his eyes to the beauty of this whole thing and the mess of this whole thing that we call life the way that your kids have. So thank you. You know, having children, you know, you know, you never know what you're going to get. We got a typical into atypical children and it changed my husband and I so much. And it really, um, I think it, made me a better person, you know, um, not that I was a judgmental, no one, I don't think anyone who knows me from my past would ever say, oh, she was such a Matt went to college with her, so we'll get those stories later. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Um, But I I think if the acceptance part of having an autism diagnosis means that you also have to kind of accept that you need to change yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and love your child despite you know, the, the, the challenges that they have. And then, and that, I don't know, I, I like the person I've become. I like the marriage that I have with my husband. I like how, how we're considered kind and compassionate people and people will go to us because we're very open yeah. and we're, we're very real about our life. We're not ashamed to talk about our children with special needs. So, so that's what, in terms of connections, that's yeah. when, like, when you start, t- if you're talking openly about it, you're going to find people who know the right psychiatrists, who know the best. This. Share, share, share your goods. That's, that's right. the thing. Like, women, we often talk um, about the secrets that we have or whatever. Yeah. Did this happen to you? Yeah. But, like, share them. If, that, if someone yeah, exactly. asks you for, a, you know, OT, or tell them. Yeah. Especially if you've got a good one. Damn it, you've yeah. saved them hours of research and yeah. trial and error. Like, yeah. Open up the book. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. This is All Good in the Motherhood with Teresa Priolo, part of the Fox 5 Podcast Network. This episode was recorded, edited, mixed, made awesome by Matt Onimus. The executive producers are myself, Matt Onimus, and Imad Ashgar. Byron Harmon is VP of News, and our vice president and general manager of Fox 5 is Lou Leone. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments or you just want to say hi, reach out to me on Twitter at Fox5Teresa or on Facebook 
Teresa Priolo, and why. And stay tuned for our next episode.